Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Edmonton Oilers, Montreal Canadiens tonight. Cam Moon along with uh, Reed and Rob and myself, the radio call. Face-off show 530, puck drop 709, Jack Michaels, Louis DeBrus, Tony Breyer, Sportsnet. Let's uh, do this. Uh, we will uh, tell you that it's going to be Jake Allen, formerly of St. Louis Blues, had very good numbers against Edmonton over the last five starts after some real rough numbers early in his career. And Miko Koskin, and obviously the Oilers don't have much other choices at this time. We're going to go to our Oilers Now headliner, brought to you by Will Hawk Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, today. We're pleased to welcome back from the show, uh, to the show, a guy who's uh, getting ready for the inauguration of Joe Biden. I'm pretty sure he's one of the guys cleared to be right up by there. Longtime Washington Capitals enforcer, a guy who willed his way to the NHL, Alan May. Al, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm going to head back to Texas for that one. There's no way I'm sticking around this place uh, for inauguration day. <laughs> Safety comes first, eh? <laughs> uh, it'll be the deafening silence. That's what I'll be looking for. Oh, I, we're reading. We're, we're hearing you right now. So it's getting a little bit. It's getting to the point out where you're not even allowed to be centrist anymore. But uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's another story for another time. All right. Uh, hey, uh, I watched the uh, Caps and the Pens go at it yesterday. Just your thoughts on uh, the, the level of competitiveness early in the season around the National Hockey League. Well, I think the level of competitiveness is still high. And it's the biggest thing to me is that they're just going on, you know, oxygen right now and working as hard as they can. Meanwhile, they haven't had any video to prepare for with the opposition. There haven't been a whole lot of games. There was no training camp. And, you know, the, the worst thing in the NHL is preseason hockey. It's absolutely embarrassing and disgusting. But one thing they do work on, and that is positioning. And I think right now around the league, you're seeing, you know, with the teams that have new coaches like the Washington Capitals, everything's new. Everything's a complete change from what Todd Reardon was doing here the last two years. Uh, he's trying to get players to shoot the puck rather than pass it off, trying to get players to crash the net, stay in front of the goaltender rather than do a flyby, and, you know, just be more aggressive, the defenseman pinching in. So it, it's all a work in progress. And I don't think we're going to see the good stuff, you know, where, it, where it's effort and execution all the way until maybe the end of next weekend. And then, you know, the teams will have games under their belt. The coaches will have good video uh, ammunition to show the players, you know, this is a habit that you've got to get out of your game. And I look at what the Oilers were like the other night and a little bit that I was able to watch the few periods. And there was a lot of flybys. There was a lot of swinging. And it doesn't matter who the goaltender is there yet. 
it will not matter whatsoever until the players get it down on the defensive zone and to what they're supposed to be doing without the puck. But you know what? I'm giving everyone, everyone's getting a mulligan on the first six, seven games here uh, to get back in order because a lot of teams have been off for quite a while. Training camp was rushed. And, you know, there's a lot of overthinking going on right now. We all know that when hockey players think, they're not skating and they're not doing the right thing. All right. One of the things that the Capitals organization has done, I've told, is they are really invested in uh, coaching uh, on the goaltending front. They've been a very, of course, uh, when Barry Trotz was there, he brought in Mitch Korn. This is a guy, you know, you used to have Dominic Hasek stand you up back in the day, and he was, Hasek looked like dead in the water when he was in Chicago, and Mitch Korn got hold of him in, in uh, Buffalo, and suddenly Hasek became an MVP. The Capitals, I'm told, have invested a lot of goaltending coaching, and maybe we saw a little of that come to fruition because obviously they had to overcome the loss of Henrik Lundqvist, and they had a guy look pretty good here over the last couple of games. Yeah, absolutely. Vitek Vanacek and Samsonov. And, you know, Vanacek really sparkled, and his debut was this past Friday in Buffalo was phenomenal, only let in one goal, and made a lot of key saves. The team protected him well in front. Samsonov kind of looked like they were playing in front of Braden Holpe because they were letting a little too many high-danger chances, but he managed himself well in both games. But the biggest thing with this uh, organization is since I really maybe Barry Trotz, but before that they were bringing a lot of goalies. You know, at one time we had Braden Holpe here, Grubauer, and Varlamov all at the same time, all draft picks, all developing well, and there wasn't enough room. And Braden wasn't supposed to be the guy; it was supposed to be those other two. And Braden ended up being the best of the bunch, and it just had a phenomenal career. And I saw what he did his first game in Vancouver. Uh, he's still an excellent goaltender, but this team has. Really focused. I think Scott Murray, the current goaltending coach, learned a lot from Mitch Korn. He's still his own guy. And, you know, the biggest thing with Mitch was about your work ethic, your details. And I think the goalies here and under Mitch, you know, now in New York, they're the hardest workers on the team. He absolutely punishes them. Any goaltender from my era, you know, could have been Grant Fuhrer, anyone, uh, Mike Vernon, those guys wouldn't have been able to walk after one Mitch Korn practice before a practice. So it's a lot different time in the National Hockey League when it comes to goaltending coaches. Washington Capitals analyst Alan May, Bob Stoffer joining you on Oilers now. So, Al, uh, we both have, uh, like, I- I'm a guy who loved hockey in the 80s. Lots of goals, lots of fights. Okay, and I believe that there's a degree of intimidation that still plays part of the game. The Capitals had a big, heavy team in 2018, won the Stanley Cup. St. Louis had a heavy physical team. So did Boston in 2019, went to the final. Little bit, Tampa Bay sort of geared up with a little bit of size. I'm going to bring you to Montreal. They had Josh Anderson up front. Uh, it, for Domi, and Domi's a smaller guy that plays bigger than his size, but he's not Josh Anderson. And they got Joel Edmondson on defense, and now they've got Sherratt Weber, Edmondson, and Petrie in their top four. They're all like 6'3", 6'4". Is there something to be said to that uh, that might benefit a uh, Montreal team that at times got boxed out in the past? I would say absolutely 100% because when you would watch the Canadians, they looked way too small to me. And it doesn't mean you're because you're small you can't play, but you look at how St. Louis played last the last couple of years. They just bogged up the middle of the ice and a kind of very large defense and a lot of larger forwards. And you couldn't penetrate to the inside. And if you want to win in the playoffs, you've got to get to the middle. Tampa Bay finally figured it out after years of being a really good team during the regular season, getting punked out early. They started to play with some attitude, with some viciousness last year. And it was a lot of attitude and some of the players they brought in was that mindset. And the players that they had there knew they had to change their own. How many times can you recant in the past 
where Victor Hedman was pushing and shoving and giving guys the wood, you know, in the front of the net, in the corners, retaliating. And I thought that all, you know, really carried them a lot, a lot further in the playoffs. You have to be, you know, you have to have some, you know, calluses on you to, to play this game. And, and you can't just decide you're going to play tough one playoff series. You've got to develop it over the course of a season. And I look at what Montreal's thinking of doing, and that's obviously something that's important to them, is that they had to be, you know, tougher, bolder to play against. And we'll see how it shakes in the end. But I think the tougher your team is in this format that we have right now, where you know you have your Canadian division of seven, all your U.S. divisions are of eight teams. You're playing everyone down here eight times. And I saw something with Tom Wilson the first three games of the season. There was a lot of players blowing snow that weren't going to get pucks. So Tom Wilson might have a hell of a year this year. You know, the more they get to play him, you got Chara, you got Tom Wilson, uh, Brendan Dillon will, will drop the gloves and play nasty every game. You look at that, Garnet Hathaway's, you know, one of the most hated players in the division already because he gets after it every night. I think that's important to have that and really important right now with this schedule. Skill will always rule, but I think some size and attitude really helps you go a long way. Well, and when I watch Pittsburgh, that's what's missing from their game. They can't play that game. Al. No, not at all. They're, they're a smallish-looking team, and I remember before Mike Sullivan got there, uh, they had a lot of smallish guys that were – I wasn't sure what they are doing. Everyone was getting on Crosby and Malkin and Latang for what they were doing. Plus, and I kept looking at them and said, that roster's not built for success. Well, when they changed it with Sullivan, they said bigger, grittier game that they started to play. Their defensemen were bigger and grittier at the time, and they played to some snarl. Ian Cole was a really important player for them because he'd, he'd lay the lumber. He'd block a shot. He'd sacrifice – and right now, I don't see it's there. I've got them on the cusp, trying to get in the playoffs. I never, I never bet against Crosby. I still, to me, he's still the best all-around forward in the game. And uh, you know, p- people might not like that being said. I'm not saying he's the best for the game. He's the best all-around forward to me. He, uh, guys like he and Ryan O'Reilly, who go hard every game, who have a, a skill level, and, and Crosby far exceeds O'Reilly in the skill department. But that tenacity, but he can't will the rest of the team to be that way. And I, I thought yesterday the Caps were a little off in the game they played. But as they realize, you know what, let's just start to pound these guys, play the game, you know, smartly when we don't have the puck, but let's lay the body on them and they will wear them down because right now it's a mishmash of a roster and a lot of guys that look like the same player out there. Well, it's funny. I, I watched Ottawa and Toronto on Friday night. Ottawa played a hard, firm, competitive game and they got a lot of toughness. I think when Ottawa plays Calgary, we're going to have a little bit of a showdown. You know, like they got Josh Brown, who can, as you know, Josh Brown can fight. Um, and Cabranson will do it. Austin Watson will do it. Uh, they got some guys. And I'm thinking to myself, Calgary, like, Milan's not going to take any crap. I don't know how much Milan wants to do it anymore, but I'm going to bet you right now Josh Brown would uh, jump at that opportunity to get uh, that. And I just, I watched Ottawa and Toronto, and I know Toronto came back and got a close win on Saturday. I didn't see much of the game because we were doing our game. But to me, I don't think Ottawa is going to be as easy out as people think up here. No, but take the skill level, the, you know, the youth, they don't realize that they're not supposed to be good, and that's kind of a great thing. And then the players that you mentioned earlier, every one of those guys, it, it, you know, it's not going to be a fan favorite people running their, buying their jerseys outside of their family members, but they, they are guys that understand what they have to bring every game. Branson knows what he has to bring every game. He's not a fancy stats guy. But, but he'll go out and stick up for a teammate. He'll play rough and rugged every shift. Austin Watson, the same thing. He'll give you rugged minutes. And those guys come to play at all times, and that's a lot to be said for that. Now, Milan Lucic on the other side of it, you know, of course, guys over 30, they don't want to be dropping all the time. It's hard to be miserable all of the time. And to go over years of that, there's a little bit of stress involved. But he's not one guy you want to piss off. 
And <laughs> we've seen when he gets woken up, and I thought he, he was a solid performer for them in Calgary. And, yeah. you know, he still loves the game. His teammates love him. So I, I never discount guys like him. You know, he's had, a, he's had a good career. It's been tough at times. He's dealt with a lot away from hockey. But it, just look at right now. I think the grittier teams are the teams that go the furthest. The, the teams that are going to be the curl-away teams, the fancy teams, and, you know, they're relying on all their, you know, shots off the pass, and they're not going to get to net and score ugly. They're going to have a tough time winning a hockey game. So, you know, a straightforward, direct program is probably the, the best way to be effective in the shortened season. Al, I'm going to ask you two more straightforward, direct questions. One, uh, did you see Jake Voracek's response on Friday night with the Philadelphia Flyers to the columnist in Philadelphia after uh, the guy asked him about uh, the two wins to start the season? I, I did see it, and it circulated during my broadcast the other night, and I was dying. And uh, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And you know what? That stuff does happen around the league, and guys will do it now. Of course, there's guys that are all up in arms, reporters that are all up in arms. And, oh, he did it on Zoom. It's different doing a person. Well, that's the world we live in. we got a lot of guys that are covering games from their homes right now, and uh, there's kind of poison with the pen, and they think they can say anything. I love when the players confront people like that. And I wish it happened a lot more often, especially, you know, in some of the jerks that we see out east and the garbage that they write and the rumors and the gossip and the innuendo. So I got no problem. And I just thought the best part about that was connect me, trying to, uh, you know, compose himself because I have a feeling, and I've heard this, that Voracek is awesome in the dressing room, that he's got everyone on pins and needles every day just waiting to bust the gut with the things that come out of his mouth. So. You know what? They want a lot more personality. One day, you, you know, a guy says something, shows some personality. He does it, and then everyone's pissed off at him. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know what? Traditionally, what happened there, Al, is if something gets – and usually, I, here's the thing. If it's said in print, which is why you got to be careful with Twitter, which is why – there's a, there's a saying, ink-stained wretch, and what would happen is a guy would make a comment up in the press box, but it wouldn't go to air because it's not live. See, we work in the live business, so you got to be careful how you word things sometimes. But with Twitter, you got to work, you know, if, if a guy, if a, if a writer in the past would make a comment, a, a press box wag comment, that was between the, you know, everybody that was up in the press box and it didn't, everybody didn't see it. Well, you know, if you're one of those guys that uses Twitter to attack people all the time, sometimes it's going to come back and bite you. So, and I do think you want the players and you know what? I, I, there, there's been occasion where not every player would like me comes in fact most people that have met me no, just kidding but no but seriously like i kind of i kind of under i understand how that happens and usually if there is a dispute the best case scenario is the the media member goes and has a quick conversation with the player that's not an option right now so that's part of the reason why that happens on a note one guy who i would not have wanted to cheese off back in the day you briefly played with him you played against him for a long time Mark Messier turned 60 years of age today. What was it like playing against Mark Messier in his prime? Well, it was absolutely and utterly amazing. And for an Edmonton kid like myself that grew up in the West End, uh, watching him win Stanley Cups and just a few years later being an extra player with the Oilers going into the 1988 Stanley Cup and you know practicing with the big team every day and being around eating and traveling, uh, it just they, there's something about this guy. He, he he had a persona and an aura of absolute incredible greatness. And then the next year, when I got to play just a few games with the Oilers, three games, I could not believe that I was looking across the room at Mass. And then when he or Kevin Lowe, but I'll stick to Mark on this, when they said something in the room, 
everyone listened. Everyone was paying attention, and it wasn't it wasn't a waste of words. He was a true leader in every sense of it, and then how he put the team on his back, and all, and you know, it was nothing. And I think a lot of slats rubbed off on him. The ability to put your mind to something greater than you know just an expectation to exceed expectations. And that's something he always did. And then, you know, when he first got to New York, that team was in disarray and it was awful. And it took a little while to get the New York out of the New York Rangers and bring some of that Edmonton attitude. And, you know, they brought a lot of Edmonton players, but Mess's will to bring everyone in it and lead and not just look around and expect anyone else. And he never looked and expected Gretz to do it all. He knew he had a role to play, and he brought his teams into that. So the leadership there, uh, the human off the ice, the times that I was able to to see him and be with him off the ice was absolutely incredible. And he never forgot a teammate. He knew who everyone in the NHL was. And, and uh, just a, a, an un, absolutely unbelievable, incredible, phenomenal human being that is going to live a long, healthy life. And I'm sure that he's still built like he's 20 years old because there was nothing but muscle on that chiseled frame. He still looks like he's nothing but muscle. But uh, just an infectious attitude, man. He just, you were happy being around Mark Messier, and he made you feel like you were his equal. So just uh, just an incredible person. They don't make leaders like that. They just happen. And uh, what a phenomenal man. Does it say more about Vancouver or something about Messier that it didn't work there at the Canucks? Well, you know what? I look back at that Vancouver debacle. Uh, I, I wouldn't blame. There, there was a lot of things that were wrong with that. So that's nothing with mess. That was a top-to-bottom thing with the organization. Everything there was wrong at the time, I believe. And uh, a guy like mess couldn't fix that. I don't think Gretz and Gordie Howe could have fixed that either. There you go. Uh, Al, great stuff. We love having you on the show. And uh, I just want to – Cactus Jack has sent in a uh, text here, and he says, uh, Bob, uh, just for the record, Alan May was wrong today. Week four NFL preseason is much worse than NHL preseason. So there you go. He's saying saying that final week of NFL when everybody rests their starters is the the worst week of uh, preseason sports. He should come and watch the Washington Capitals play a preseason (laughs) game. I would win the argument hands down it's like football all right there we go hey al awesome stuff thanks for your time take care guys man Yvette, that is Alan May joining us out of uh, Washington. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup and takeout options for a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The Stoffer recommendation is the Mediterranean chicken. Brennan Escott's a fan of the Texans. Brennan Escott's back in the 630 Chad Studios. And Brendan Escott's going to lose a starting quarterback. Is that what's going on here with Deshaun Watson? What's what's happening there, Brendan? Well, it's a, it's a reclamation project right now as they try and salvage whatever relationship might be left there between uh, the player and the team. But uh, it sounds like they're going to interview the coaching candidate he wanted, so perhaps it's not all lost quite yet. Is Probably, that Eric? Is that Eric Bieniemy? Yeah, Eric Bieniemy is is the guy, and you got to remember now, Bob. Like this was the one that that Deshaun wanted all along. There's only two coaching vacancies that haven't been filled: one in Philly, the other in Houston. So maybe he gets his guy. Do you know what Chris Berman used to call Eric Bieniemy when he played? What's that? Eric sleeping with Bieniemy from the movie Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah. <laughs> I always like that one. Uh, let's go to uh, this day in Oilers history. 
Brendan, what do you got? Back in 2009, the Oilers retire Glenn Anderson's number nine prior to a 6-3 win over Phoenix. Ethan Morrow registered a hat trick. Ladislav Smeed fought Dan Carcillo. And Dwayne Rolison made 25 saves for the win. Uh, Jason from Sangudo, I did not know this. Hey, Bob, didn't Mark Messi at one time date Madonna? And she just had a hip replacement. <laughs> Is that true? I didn't know Madonna had a hip replacement. Uh, I think Madonna dated a fair amount of people. Uh, wasn't she married to Sean Penn? Like mid-circa 1985s, back in the Live to Tell days? Uh, what was that movie? Was that Live to Tell? Was that the movie? I don't know. Anyways, that Sean Penn was in. Uh, Northside Lou says, Bob, uh, Messier with all of those uh, great Oiler players, they were the Manhattan Oilers. Yes, there were seven of them. It was the Manhattan Project when they ended up winning the uh, Stanley Cup Championship, and that was awesome. Uh, another Jack says, Bob, I love it when you have Al on. It is a fresh, honest, open segment. Fletch from Calgary says, you want to score Miko Koskinen, you go high glove side. Three goals went in uh, against the Canadians. Two in the opening night in this area. He's at best a $4 million backup. How is Ken Holland going to fix this? Uh, well, Ken Holland inherited uh, Koskinen. I, I think Koskinen, if you look at the actual there's there's a s- couple different stats out there, you know, saves above, uh, projected saves. He had decent numbers last year. The issue is... Th- just, just think about this for a second. The owners played four games in 300 days. And then Koskinen starts three games in four days, and the team is currently... <laughs> how crazy of a... St- the owners are a high-event team. They're number one in the NHL, 37.3 shots per game. The problem is they're currently 30th in the league in shots against, 37 shots against per game. That's a lot of rubber after you haven't played for months and months and months. Very quickly, Dylan Holloway, by the way, uh, picked up a couple of assists. Did we do our prospect report for James H. Brown injury lawyers? Did we get to that today? Uh, Injury report, yeah. We did our injury report, yes. There we go. Quick prospect update. Thank you, Brendan, for uh, correcting me on that. All right, uh, we will tell you that uh, tomorrow... When I find the script here, uh, tomorrow on the show, it's a Tuesday. That means Sportsnet Spec will be amongst our guests for horse racing, Alberta, the 7,000 men and women employed in the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry. Obviously, we got a uh, tough bit of news on the weekend. One of Joe Biden's first actions once he becomes president on Wednesday will be to cancel the permits for the Keystone XL pipeline expansion project, according to official campaign transition documents. The publisher of Energy Magazine, Markham Hislop, will join Jayla and I to break down the financial repercussions this decision could have on Alberta's economy and the impact in Canada-U.S. relations after the uh, 2 o'clock news. Reminder, this show is called Oilers Now, and I support the oil and gas industry in this province. We're on board with you. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. I'll be rejoining you today at 5.30 on the Faceoff Show with Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown, Cam Moon, Jack Michaels, a cast of thousands. Eileen's got the global news weather traffic update then 6.30 chat afternoons with Jalen Nye. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.